welcome to today's Unpacked Short. I'm Charlie Pickles. I am joined, as ever, by Peter Franklin. Hello. Hello, Peter. Today's Unpacked is fascinating, as always, but it is one of those where we have to get Peter to spend several minutes explaining what it is uh, the Unpacked is actually talking about. So, you know, reflecting on previous Unpacked discussions, I'm thinking things like accelerationism or what was it, fully automated luxury communism or something like that, or Straussianism, another of my favourites. So, uh, you know, this is one of these classic uh, Peter Unpacks where we're going to have to just just try and unpack what we're talking about before we unpack what it might mean. So today's topic is the three-way relationship that brought about Brexit and Trump, and it's centering around the globalisation trilemma. Peter, please explain. Okay, well, the original article is by Christoph Pelk in the Literary Review of Canada, no less, and it concerns the Harvard economist Danny Roderick. Now, he was the one who came, originally came up with the concept of the globalisation trilemma. And maybe I should explain what a trilemma is first. A dilemma is when you have to choose between two things and you can only have one of them. A trilemma is when you're choosing between three and you can have, at best, two of them. Right. Now, the globalisation trilemma... Um, According to Roderick, the three things that you choose from are either full integration into the global economy, that's number one, number two is democracy, and number three is national sovereignty, right? Now, those are three things that generally most people want, but you can only pick two out of the three. So one of them has to go out of the window. Okay. So to bring this to life a little bit for our listeners and Peter, can we give an example of the different combinations that you you might end up with and um, what that looks like in today's world? Mm. Well, yes, if you choose integration plus democracy, then you might have something that looks quite a lot like the European Union, where you still have a democratic process, but big decisions are made at a supranational level. Right. Okay, so that's that's combination one. And so the one that you have chosen to leave out in your trilemma is the nation state. That's right, because that is downgraded and certain decisions are made kind of above the heads of the nation state, as it were. The second combination is when you go for global integration and national sovereignty, but democracy takes a back seat. Now, examples of that might include various Gulf states like Qatar or the Emirates, which are so globalised in terms of a workforce that um, most of the population are expats. Um, and the, 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 you know, the actual Qataris or Emiratis are a minority of the people living in those countries. However, the ruling classes, the native ruling classes, still very much rule because the question of who governs isn't, um, isn't up for debate. When, right? China's another example. Of China's another that. example. Um, you don't have the, the issue with immo- very high levels of the immigration there, but you've got a country which is kind of the globaliser par excellence um, and has to enter into various sort of relationships to make that happen. But that can't be disrupted by voters, 
because those there aren't pe- any those voters. Pesky <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's you know that's what happens when you leave out democracy, but you combine globalization and um, nationalism. And so, you know, we we could say that um, there has been a rejection of that first scenario in several countries, um, including our own here in the UK, and arguably with the election of Trump in America. So, you know, people rejecting rejecting having lost a sense of national sovereignty. Um, is that fair to argue that that you know we we whilst it might have been previously seen as um, you know this kind of great form of progress to have these supranational institutions that enabled us to be a more integrated and therefore presumably peaceful and harmonious world that that's slightly crumbling. Well, yes, and it almost it, it, it's a kind of great vindication of Roderick's globalization trilemma is that when people try and reassert national sovereignty, for instance, over the terms of trade, over um, the flow of immigrants, then what gets lost is the globalization bit. And so you've had, for instance, in America, Trump, you know, um, getting elected on a platform of calling uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement into question. Obviously, then there was Brexit, where uh, Britain pulled out of uh, the European Union. Um, so yes, that, that seems to be an absolute um, slam dunk example that you can only have two of those three. And we're seeing a trend towards people saying, well, never mind the globalisation, we'll have items two and three, thank you very much. We're taking back control. But isn't, isn't, that, isn't that a problem in itself? So, you know, I mean, I... I value very highly the idea of national sovereignty. I think you can't have a democracy and you 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 can't be a democratic country unless you get a direct say over the way your country is run. And and obviously, if you give decision-making power to a supranational um, body, then you are no longer exercising that democratic right now. I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening who will say, no, that's ridiculous. Of course you still are. You know, we in the UK can still elect MEPs and, you know, our representatives still sit in, in a European Union. But, it, but it's quite clearly not the same. Nonetheless, I can also see a very powerful argument for supranational institutions where there is a particular objective in mind. Now, that could be security. We know that terrorism, organised crime doesn't respect borders you know is it that isn't going to say well yes of course you know if you do your national policy on this then i'll respect that um and things like climate change you know energy policy stuff like that so is there not a place for supranational bodies and if there is how do you reconcile that with wanting both genuine democracy um and some form of of national sovereignty I think there is a place for supranational bodies, but on very particular issues um, like international security, NATO being a great example, on climate change, um, the Paris Agreement being an example. But when it's something as big and far-ranging as a globalised economy, that means that Actually, all sorts of things have to be decided at a supranational level far too much. And that ends up with national electorates rebelling and saying, look, you just can't cut us out 
of all of these important issues on trade, on employment, on immigration. This is bread and butter politics. It's not the specialisms of security and the environment. Well, and also things like if you think of the impact of the euro um, for those nations that joined the single currency and we had the financial crash and then some of those countries were not able to use monetary policy so you know they didn't have central banks themselves that were able to respond to the financial crisis and and because it was left to the European Union as a supranational body actually that caused some real losers in that model absolutely uh, losers well you know stark divisions between winners and losers between different countries Germany and Greece for instance and also within different countries and that's that's I think what really makes a difference is that where you have those divisions created by supranationalism within countries sooner or later you're going to get the losing side taking back control through the ballot box and so you know what what I guess is is the final twist in this tale is the fact that uh, the academic uh, Roderick who or the economist Roderick who um came up with this concept of the globalisation trilemma and who I, I believe himself was pro the first scenario we had. Um, so the kind of globalised economy with supranational um, bodies to mm. provide the governance has actually changed his mind. He has, and he, I think not in respect to things like climate change, but on the broad-based economic issues, he thinks that the, the key decisions, the key reforms need to be made and agreed within countries. Uh, it's very interesting to see him actually, because he was so influential in, 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 in proposing the globalised, democratic, supranational model, to see him think again. And I wonder, Peter, whether we might find more people do that or whether we will continue to have this quite divided and divisive approach where you have on the one hand those who are being dubbed the populists and, and you know, um, I guess being the, the kind of insurgents rejecting that global model mm. and then those who remain part of a kind of global elite, if I may say a Davos set, uh, that continues to perhaps slightly bury their head in the sand in not recognising that actually national sovereignty, the ability to make decisions for yourself, is actually incredibly important to many, many people. Thank you so much, Peter. As always, a fascinating discussion and hopefully one that uh, was gone through bit by bit, step by step in a way that our listeners will be fully abreast now of the globalisation trilemma. Thank you very much, James, for producing our podcast. Um, And thank you, of course, uh, as always, to you for listening. Please do subscribe if you haven't already. Please do rate us if you enjoy this this podcast. And I hope you listen to our next one. Mm -hmm.